we are moving to a growth mindset. It's exactly the example that Carol Dweck gives in her book. We need to move from fix it to growth mindset. When I look at it from a perspective of growth, it's what can I learn from these people that are different from myself? What I could get from these people on my day work? But to get this perspective, to really understand that you could be able to learn something from them, for this, we need openness, we need empathy, we need uh, uh, listening capacity, and I would say also that we need personal humility. I'm Gabriele Botelho, I'm Brazilian, and I work for CDD, which is a French company, as a HR director for Latin America. Welcome to a new episode of the Better Teams podcast. Vincent here, and I will be your host today. This podcast is about building better teams, because that's what my co-host Max and I love doing, and we have the strong belief that with great, sustainable team dynamics, you can achieve anything. This podcast is your space to grow in terms of management and leadership and to meet people with real-life experience in developing individuals into high-performing teams. Thank you for listening. Hi, Gabrielle. Hello, Vincent. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. I'm really happy to talk to you today because I could see through the conversations we had before and the articles you write that you have at heart to continuously question and improve HR practices, which I think is really important. And in one of your articles, you wrote that you like HR because, and I quote you, it's about reinventing processes of the time, new practices and initiatives to develop better working environment and fulfill business needs. And I think you say a lot in that sentence. So I would like to talk with you first about your experience and what is HR about for you based on your experience and this sentence and what you went through. Yes. So in my view, Vincent, HR is about the people and the business. I could not see it separated. But for too long, I, I think that companies have looked at employees as a resources for achieving high productivity and profit, for example. And it comes also in our name, in the, in the name of our area, that is called human resources, is still in many organizations. And the, ironically, most organizations have faced some problems to incorporate this human element into their organizations. I think we have been so focused on becoming a strategic partner to the business that we forgot the most important part of it, which is our people. And as a result, uh, I think that even more today, we have seen that our companies are looking for more humanized leadership. Have you, have you think about that? It's very weird when you say that a human should become more human. <laughs> and also, uh, they are trying to pursue an organizational culture that is more focused on safety and healthy and also uh, put the people at the center uh, looking for this more human element in their organizations. So for me, HR is, is a lot about people, for sure, but it's also about the business because without people, we cannot achieve results. So it's uh, directly related, on my view. You went right into the topic of people-centric organizations and how to create them. And I wanted to ask you to make a case for it. Why is it so important? And what does it mean for you to humanize organizations, like you said, to create people-centric organizations? I really believe in the importance of people in any business strategy. We can have, for example, the best business plan in place or could have the best technology. But if you do not have 
if you're not able to build an organizational with a high-performance environment, with high-performance teams, for example, we are not able to reach any of the strategic business goals. For me, people are the key element. So, for example, in my company, CDG, we call ourselves as a people data technology company. And people come first for a reason. It's all because of them. And I'll explain that because, for example, uh, they are the ones processing the data and also the ones developing new technologies for our business. So it's definitely all about people. So when we discuss about people-centric organizations, uh, what I feel is that usually people come uh, to me asking about, but what about customer-centric organizations? Because we need customers. We need uh, to increase our revenue, to increase our profit. Which model is the best one, in your opinion, for example? People usually tend to come with this discussion in a way to exclude, in a, um, in a way that they want to have a choice, uh, just one choice. And, and when I say people, Vincent, I'm not saying that one is, is best, is better than the other. I'm saying that both are equally important. It's the reason it's called people-centric organization, because it's employees plus customers. Because who are the ones dealing directly with the customers? Our people. And they, they are also the ones that uh, look for new customers, that uh, talk about the employer brand in the market, for example, and then it could be attractive to new customers and also new employees coming to work for us. So I see both perspectives very uh, linked. And that's the reason I see that uh, it's worth that organizations try to create an environment that promotes more equality when it comes to the importance of your employees comparing with the importance of your customers. I think it's equally important. What would be concrete elements? What would be good signs to recognize that, okay, I am in a people-centric organization. If I look around, how can I detect that? How can I feel concretely that maybe I'm not on it, but I'm on the right path towards it? I think we need to create the habit of asking to our employees, do you know, Sometimes I feel HR uh, looking for delivering uh, solutions for the business. The business come with a complaint or uh, they come with uh, some difficult, and then we go directly for a solution. Instead of going directly to a solution, we need to go to the people and test ideas, you know, in a more agile way of working. And for me, it's about talking with our people. It's about asking them what they recognize as a for example, positive work environment. For me, this is something that we as HR need to reinforce in our organization. Instead of uh, talking about our employees during boarding meetings, we should talk with our employees through surveys, through uh, walking on the hall. I know that uh, the majority of us are working from home nowadays, but still, We have surveys that could be completely digital and we could talk through Teams or Zoom conferences. We can reach them. It's not an excuse, the reason we are working from home uh, currently, for example. So I think our role as HR is, is really to measure the temperature, to really understand what's going well and what should be improved and what has been difficult for our employees during this pandemic period, for example. So at CDG, what we did, we have been doing many surveys along the way. So since March until now, we had more than four surveys. So what we discovered, Vincent, is that from July to September, we realized that the number of people, the percentage of people that were uh, facing difficulties in a home office scheme were increasing. 
it was at first 10% only, and then in the in September survey, it was already 30% of my population that was not uh, dealing well with the home office scheme. So you realize that, that we should give a solution for these people, you know? It's not because if 70% of my population is dealing well that the other 30%, I don't care. It shouldn't be like this. They are all important to our organization. So what we did was the following. We, we created a return to the office plan just for this 30% of employees. And I'm talking about here less than 50 employees that uh, would like to come back to the office because they realized that in the office uh, infrastructure, they would be working better. So we did that. And this is a very simple example of what is to be a people-centric organization. We need to find answers to all of them. We should not look for one fits all solution. In one article, you wrote that a big challenge in the HR world is to make sure that HR is perceived as a strategic and trusted partner for the business and not a cost. What do you do when you feel that you don't have the mandate to change things, that you're not taken seriously to have an impact and to be powerful in the organization? What do you say? How do you do? So uh, in my view, there are three main steps we need to take uh, that uh, works for me, Vincent. So first of all, uh, it's a build trust. Business leaders should trust nature, as we have been discussing so far, in our competence for delivering the best projects based on their needs, no doubt. It seems simple, but it, it's very difficult to build trust. It takes time and dedication. In my case, I was able to read this uh, trust uh, doing the second point that I, I bring to you now, which is to get to know the business. I felt that I, I could shift it, their way of seeing HR, their way of seeing myself as the head of HR, because I was, I started to speak and to get to know their business very well, very, very well. Know the challenge, know the risks, know the, the main clients, know the, the impact of that clients in their business. So how much each client is contributing for the revenue of the company and the profit of the company, for example. And then after that, I could see that I was able to build the credibility. But it's not only about that. It's also the way we communicate at the end. So the three main points are, first, build trust. Second, get to know their business, our business, because HR is also part of the business. And the third one is to communicate strategically, because it's not about our HR agenda. It's on the other way around. It's their business deed that is motivating this HR project. So at the end, it's about them. We as HR, we are trying to position ourselves as a strategic area, and we are because we are working on the short term, thinking about the long term and the capabilities for the future to achieve the best results for the company, etc. But we are also uh, delivering the, what the business is needing now, currently. So they need to, to understand that. And the way we communicate, we convey the message for the business is what will make the change on this uh, mindset. Because again, HR, we usually say a lot of um, concepts, theories, and I think the business is a bit tired of that. In a way, we are not communicate effectively what we, we need to achieve as a company when it comes to how do we develop people in our organization, how we reinforce our culture, and how we could implement a people-centric model, how we are explaining it to the business. I feel that we are lacking be able to really deliver a message for them, the reason, the why, which is the impact in, a, in their business. But it's a day-by-day -day work. I never take it for granted. 
you know, it's something that uh, we really need to prove yourself as an area that is strategic, that is pursuing the business result instead of just looking for the HR agenda. So it's something that we are building uh, day by day. Here, I would like to add one question that I received from another HR director, uh, Cecile. Thank you, Cecile. And I, I found it interesting. She asked you, if the HR function did not exist in the organization, what would you change? It's a bit of a sarcastic question, but she would be, uh, yeah. would be uh, interested in knowing how you would defend the case and what, what it would mean. Absolutely. That's a good question. And I would say an old reflection that we in HR usually think about that. And uh, I think HR has evolved a lot since the beginning. When the HR was born, it's important to mention that we were like an industrial relations department. It was uh, just in a way to not jeopardize so much people because in that concept, our people should fit in in the machines. So it come to us that, that, that idea of, again, Taylorism and Fordism. So I see that HR is very needed still. You know, I, I was discussing about this with a friend as well a long time ago and he, he was joking with me saying that HR is coming to an end. Because if you reach a time that uh, leaders could do uh, everything that we do, we should not have a, res a reason to be an area anymore. And then I replied to him, I don't think so, <laughs> because at the end, we as HR, we do what I see that the leaders from the business are not uh, so focused on. It's about compliance. It's about legislation. It's about uh, a company's reputation. Because if you do not treat your employees well, with respect, it will uh, result in a bad reputation in the market. It will result with uh, fines from the governments, for example. So HR takes care not only of the soft skills, which are the capabilities for the future, as I mentioned before, but also when it comes to the hard skill. And the, this part of compliance and local legislation, it's a very hard one. And I don't see that they give the right importance to that. And I don't see that they want to deal with that as well. So in a way, I think HR will be important in the years to come. And also because I see that HR adds a lot of value when it comes to people as well. And the, the way we can evolve in terms of concepts and theories to really implement good practices that could create uh, work environments that are health, safe and positive ones that uh, could represent a, a very good model for our competitors in the market. And I usually say as well that we as HR, we should not uh, think about our organization only. We should think about how can we impact beyond our organization, going to our societies as well, you know. So, and then diversity, equity, and inclusion is an example about that. When you go to the society to talk about this topic, to recruit diverse profiles, for example, it's in a way that you are impacting and helping the society to be successful and to progress uh, as well. You are a strong advocate for diversity and inclusion, and I would like to start with diversity. Uh, and ask you to tell me why is it so important diversity and to put it differently how would you argue for an active ambitious diversity strategy people resist and reject and deny what does not make sense for them for their own perspective and what i mean by that is that the change when it comes to g and i it starts in ourselves so gabriele myself i should change my way 
of seeing the world. I need to be more open to the new concepts and to the new ideas and to this new world that is coming. And I would say that the first step for doing that is awareness because we are not aware of our biases. It's the reason it's called unconscious bias because we do without knowing that we are doing because it's completely unconscious. And it's part of the way we were raised by our families. It's part of our values as a person that we can get from our families, but you're building along the way, along of our lives as well. So uh, in one of my articles, I explained that DNI is everyone's responsibility because it can also happen from the bottom to the top. It's not only something that happens from the top to the bottom. So I worked before in a company that this movement of DEI started with our employees on the base. So they were starting to create some employee resources groups. They were having meetings. They were creating awareness in the organization by their own. And then this topic was presented to the board of the company. So it's something that is everyone's responsibility. So my reply to this question is sometimes it's really hard that we as HR, we bring this topic to the board because they don't want to hear. Sometimes the answer that I get is that, oh, this is a very sensitive topic. We cannot talk about that. We should avoid because then they could think that we are discriminating. No, it's on the other way around. If you don't say anything, people will get frustrated. Because it's something that is coming, we cannot hold this conversation anymore. So from your experience, when is it more effective? When this awareness is growing from bottom to top or when it's coming from top management first? I think from my experience that it's preferable to start from the top because then it's the company sending its message as well. It's not only about a movement that starts with the employees, you know, because it's very important. The company should send a message. The company should position itself about what they think about the diversity and inclusion principles and should pursue it not only because it's the right thing to do when it comes to the human side, but also because it's the right thing to do when it comes to the business side. We have a thousand of research and surveys showing how important it is to have teams with diverse members because it brings better results for the company. But when we go to a meeting in the board, we should not go there with this professional way, you know, <laughs> explaining concepts and explaining theory. It's beautiful, but they will, um, in a way, stop listening to you. Because they would, okay, here you go again, HR with this topic, trying to sell this idea. But it's not about that. It's something that we need to realize. So what I would recommend is that we start doing some kind of uh, workshops where our board members, where our the executives could find themselves this answer. Instead of HR giving them the answer, showing them what we should do, let's try to work together and find the best solution for our company. What makes sense to my organization? It's aligned with the values of my company. It's aligned with the purpose, the mission, the vision of my organization. It could happen that uh, what makes sense for my organization make does not make sense to your organization. So we need to be flexible and open to really build 
our own, for example, concept of diversity, we should be able to really find which are the principles of diversity, equity, and inclusion that we should prioritize, for example. So it's something that we should count with the board to discover and build together to really include them on this. Yeah, because Romain, another HR professional uh, listening to the podcast, was asking how you can make sure diversity is really alive and not just a beautiful word on the internet or on companies' brochures. So you say being active, engaging the board, the top, if possible, is better, uh, doing workshops and defining together what it really means and how it can benefit the company, right? Yes, absolutely. Otherwise, it's not going to work. I want to say a word about the well-known culture fit. Uh, because you wrote that it's a misalignment with respect to diversity and inclusion. And I thought it was interesting. Can you develop that statement? Why is it problematic, the culture fit? And why could it harm, actually, an effort towards people's centricity? This expression, fit in, also comes from the first industrial revolution. Did you know that? It no. is from a long time ago. This concept came with the idea that the people that operate the machine should fit in the machine. So they should be the ones to adapt themselves to the machine. It was the concept of that aid. As I mentioned before, we as HR, we are constantly evolving and we need to stop repeating some concepts that does not make sense at all anymore. So uh, what I'm telling people when I say this is that I'm looking for people that is aligned with the way we do things in my organization. When I go to the market and I have this kind of recruitment advertisements, what we're trying to do here is to really attract the people that are the same. I'm looking for my organizational profile. And here I'm not talking about what is required for the job itself. I'm talking about the competence. I'm not talking about the competence. I'm talking about when you look to your, the people that you work for your company, they are all the same. They have the same educational, educational background, the same culture, the same race. The majority of the employees came from the same neighborhood, for example. They're all the same. And as a consequence, they think all the same. So it's in the unconscious bias as well. The organizations look for similarity. It's the unconscious bias call it affinity. This is completely in disalignment with the diversity act inclusion because I'm not open to bring anyone that is different from the way I think, the way I behave, the way I work in my organization. Instead of looking for cultural fit, they should look for cultural ed. A new concept, again, because we're evolving and we should start thinking differently as well. So it's based on what this employee could bring and what this employee could add to my culture organization that could help me to reach better goals in the future. I'm not saying here that this person should be in disalignment with the, the values of the company. I'm saying that we as an organization, we are open to have different people, different profiles, diverse ways of doing things and not just following the parameters of your organization. And then when uh, we work like that, we are promoting more creativity. We are giving the opportunity to bring more innovative products and innovative actions. And it also helps the environment. So organizations really need to rethink about this uh, cultural fit uh, concept and change it for cultural wet. Because again, the diverse profile that you are bringing to your organization does not mean that this person will be in completely disalignment what we think is important as an organization. Not, it's not the point. 
the point here is that what this person could add and bring in terms of different perspective, different ideas to our business. So once you you have hired great diverse talents, you're adding them to a company, they are an added value. There is the question of inclusion here. What does it mean for you to include people? I recently wrote an article as well, based on my presentation during the DHR Congress this year, that I mentioned that and I reinforced that the importance of practicing equity first to then achieve inclusion. What is equity about? Equity is about fairness. It's about giving what the individuals need to succeed. We could also do a parallel here when it comes to equality. Because equality is sameness. You give the same to everybody. Equity is fairness. You give what the employee needs to succeed at the workplace. And it's the reason also that the name of the area is changing now. Because in the past it was called diversity and inclusion only. And then you realize that we cannot achieve inclusion if you do not practice equity. So it's now called diversity, equity and inclusion. This is the reason of the change of the name itself. And then if you give the employees the opportunity for them to succeed at the workplace, we are as a consequence including them. And then I will give an example. Here in my organization at CDG, we are now trying to be more flexible when it comes to the, the language. We are a French company in Brazil, but we usually ask for our new hires to have English. But we realize that it's very difficult to find a good resource, technical resources and technical employees with good expertise with fluent English. And then we also realize that, okay, this is something that we are creating, that we are avoiding people to get an opportunity. Because when you see the numbers in Brazil, only 5% of our population, and it's a very impactful number, only 5% of our population speak English fluently. Then what we did, we are starting bringing people without English, without, or at least without a, a very good level of English, and we're starting to sponsor English course for them. It's a very good initiative. It's what you call affirmative actions in diversity, equity, and inclusion as well. So I bring someone from the market that not necessarily has all the competences that I need for the job, but once this person is in our company, we give them the tools for them to succeed. My last question is always the same to guests. I give you the final say. So who would you like to send a message to and what would be that message? To all people that are uh, listening to this podcast now, we have the power to change not only our reality, but the reality that uh, we are living in our organizations and also in our societies. I really believe that we need to look forward, to look beyond of our own needs and seeing a broader perspective. You know, it's not only about my agenda, my growth, and what I want to do in this world. It's, it's what, what I can contribute. It's also a shift when it comes to what I can get and what I can give to the planet. It's more than time now to really think about the others, to think of what you can give to others and to contribute to others to really make this a better world for all of us. If our listeners want to read the articles that you publish, where do they go? Yeah, they could go to LinkedIn, my LinkedIn page, Gabriele Botelho, and also to my personal page, which is developyourself.br. Great. Thanks a lot for your time, Gabriel, and for a really rich discussion. Thank you very much for the invitation, and it was a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, consider giving it five stars on Apple Podcasts and a good review. It helps us a lot. Before you leave, I have one question for you. 
who should be our next guest? Manager, HR professional, sport coach, CEO, managing director, who inspires you as a team leader? Get in touch and let us know. Thanks again and see you in the next episode.